Welcome to the Clothed with the Sun podcast, a daily reading and meditation on the gospel. I am James Thomas, and today is Monday, April 3rd, 2023, Monday of Holy Week. Our gospel is from the gospel according to John. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil, made from genuine aromatic nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, And the one who would betray him said, Why was this oil not sold for three hundred days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and held the money bag, and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. Okay, well, here we are in Holy Week, and we have some pretty standard readings yet they're pretty profound, pretty awesome readings. And as you've noticed, you may have noticed the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot from the gospel according, according to John. We know that there are four gospels, and the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptics. They were written earlier, and they tell the story of the life of Jesus. John's gospel was written later, and it goes deeper. There's deeper meaning found in John's pages. And there's just, it's, it's a great deal of significance that we read from John. So when we uh, listen to the readings this week, we're going to be hearing a lot from John and John's gospel is, is there. It's, it's, it's intended to help us to understand more deeply and connect more deeply with Jesus and with the mysteries of our redemption. So in this reading, we have Jesus going back to the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. There are many questions about that family. These apparently were Jesus's good friends. Some people speculate that he knew them for a long time. Some people speculate he met them in his ministry. There are those who speculate that Mary, the sister of Martha, is also Mary Magdalene. And one of the reasons they speculate about that is because, well, uh, Mary is doing the same thing in this reading that Mary Magdalene did in one of the other Gospels. And in one of the other Gospels, it says that a woman who was a great sinner did this. So did it happen once, twice, three times, or is this all the same person? Is it possible Mary Magdalene is also Mary of Bethany? We know that Mary of Bethany has chosen the better part in the words of Jesus. In other words, she loves Jesus. She sits at the feet of Jesus. She's not the worker that Martha is, 
But who knows? You know, Martha's probably a very prayerful person, and I'm sure Mary's probably a hard worker. It's just that we know Martha from being the one waiting at table, and she's doing it again in this reading. And we know Mary as the one who is performing various acts of love for Jesus. There's an intimacy that Mary shares. Yet when Jesus goes to the cross, we don't see them in any of those accounts. We see Mary Magdalene at the cross, staying with Jesus, and then the first to see Jesus after he's risen from the dead. So there's an intimacy that Jesus shares with Mary Magdalene. So it's hard to say. The details are not the same when it comes to the gospel parallels about uh, this woman that anoints Jesus's feet. She, well, in another reading, she cries over Jesus's feet, and her tears wash the feet, and then her hair dries the feet. Mary, in this reading, is drying the feet of Jesus with her hair. We know that feet, especially in that particular culture, were very disgusting things. I mean, I think feet, a lot of people, I don't know, some people like feet. For the most part in our society right now, people consider feet to be pretty disgusting. You know, they're in those shoes and the socks, they're wrapped up, they're kind of smelly when you unwrap them. You got to wash them really good. They can get fungusy. Uh, in that particular society, they wore sandals, they walked around, they didn't have cars, and so feet were pretty dirty. You come into somebody's house, I mean, how many times have we gone into either our own home or the home of a friend where ma- the mom of the house says, take your shoes off before you come into this house, I don't want you getting my carpets or my floor dirty, I just swept the floor. In Jesus' day, people might have walked a good distance to get where they were going, And there might have been caked on mud on their feet and on their sandals. And so I know in the one reading, uh, I think it's Simon is the the name of a Pharisee. And Jesus says to Simon, you didn't even give me anything with which to wash my feet when I entered your house. And yet this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. So it's a great service to do. It's a great sacrifice considering how important hair is to a woman. You know, I mean, the men had long hair as well in this society, but women usually are washing their hair. You know, they they do things with their hair to make themselves look beautiful. They and, you know, maybe we're not always talking about soap and shampoo, shampoo. Maybe there's a perfume and things like that. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a great deal of care, though, taken into maintaining one's hair. So for a woman to clean Jesus's feet and then dry them with her hair, that's a big deal. Um, and also there's just this sentiment here of intimacy. There's, there's, you know, not getting carried away here, but there's a sensuality to, you know, uh, washing someone's feet and then using your hair. There's, 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 a, there's a connection here. Jesus loves these people. He loves this woman, Mary. She loves him a great deal. There is a closeness there. There's a familiarity there. It's an intimacy that we are all called to have with Jesus. And so this happens. I was going to say one of the, I'm just thinking of all the different parallels. There's a lot of different theories out there. Another theory, another thing that just goes along with this, recently Pope Francis added Mary to, and, and Lazarus, actually, to the feast day of St. Martha. It used to just be the feast of St. Martha. I believe it's July 29th. I could be wrong on that. But now uh, Pope Francis has made it the feast day of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. 
My personal theory on that, and I guess we could do more research into this, is that Martha has a feast day. Mary of Bethany doesn't have a feast day, but Mary Magdalene does have a feast day. And the church's worship is another way that truth and doctrine and our beliefs are conveyed. It's not just in the Bible. It's not just in the catechism. It's also in the worship of the ages. There's a, a tenet of our faith, lex orande, lex credende, lex vivende. The law of lex orande, the law of prayer, uh, is or leads to the lex credendi, the law of belief, which leads to the law of life and how we live our lives, lex vivendi. In other words, the liturgy very often reveals our beliefs. How we pray determines then what we believe, and that determines how we live. Prayer comes first, especially the liturgy of the church. So in the church's liturgy, we never recognized a Mary of Bethany, but we always recognize Mary Magdalene. Anyway, enough about that. I just wanted to give a little history there. It's, it's interesting to speculate. But we have Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They already love Jesus so much, and now Lazarus has been raised from the dead. So there's a lot of excitement here. And yet Jesus is soon to go to his own death. So Jesus is just soaking in the love of his friends. There's, there's a point to be made there. Jesus is fully human. He became one of us. And he shows us the importance of friends, the importance of intimacy between friends, between men and women. It doesn't always have to be about marriage and dating. It's good that we have close friends that we truly love, genuine love. We're not talking about lust here. And so Jesus has these people that he spends time with, and Jesus is on his way to the crucifixion eventually here. And so it's upsetting to see Judas Iscariot, especially for those of us celebrating Holy Week. We see this. We know what's going to happen with Jesus. It's a pleasant scene. We don't, especially knowing what Judas is about to do, we don't want to hear from him. We don't want to hear what he's doing. And yet, you know, we're hearing even more here that Judas used to steal the money. Great. I wonder how that's going to be betray- uh, portrayed in the show, The Chosen. I, I'm, I'm so excited about that show and I can't wait to see what comes next. And I just, you know, Judas right now is a pretty good guy on that show. He's one of the 12 and he's getting along great with everybody. And man, how heartbreaking it is to see him go down this dark path, stealing the funds and eventually betraying Jesus. And perhaps, I don't know, Judas in his own mind thinks he's righteous. He talks about taking care of the poor. Uh, St. John in his commentary says, ah, he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. So there's already the sentiment that Judas was a bad guy. But yes, Jesus is on his way to the crucifixion. Eventually, we saw the transfiguration not too long ago, and that's another great consolation As we are getting ready to see Jesus died, we see Jesus for a brief moment in his glory. That's meant to embolden the apostles, especially Peter, James, and John, who saw it with their own eyes. And yet, remember, he's going to take them with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're going to fall asleep. They enjoyed seeing his glory, but they weren't there for him when he needed them. Once again, Jesus has our humanity. He needs our humanity in order to take it to the cross and die. So in this humanity, he needs his friends. He needs his father's approval, the father's affirmation. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And he needs Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So 
we have this beautiful little scene where Jesus is being anointed. Judas protests. So right there, that kind of says, all right, well, what's he even doing there? I guess Jesus has brought his apostles and you know, just the reality of who these apostles are, its it gives us a lot to think about, a lot to meditate on, about what the church truly is. We could think of the apostles as Jesus's parish council. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I just said that. We could think of the apostles as Jesus's uh, presbyteral council for the diocese, or the college of cardinals, or I mean, that's literally what they are. They're his bishops, the first bishops. But Jesus brings them to a home where he's going to be experiencing emotional intimacy with people that he loves a great deal. In other words, Jesus is inviting his apostles into friendship. He wants them to be part of this as well. That's why they're there. And it's interesting because Judas is all business. I wonder what the other apostles are doing. I wonder which side they take in this. I mean, John seems to be pretty clear about what side he's on as he's writing about this. But it gives us some insight into how to run a parish, how to run a diocese, how to run the church. The church is not primarily a business. It is primarily about friendship, about love, about intimacy. Jesus is getting them ready for the work they're going to do, but he's also inviting them to a place of family and friendship. And this is a beautiful thing. Jesus is teaching us so many lessons here. And then he says that line to Judas, which has been a difficult line for us to hear and the source of a lot of debate over the centuries. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Wow. To hear that on the surface and not fully understand, I mean, I've heard some people say things to the extent of, what is Jesus, some kind of egomaniac? What, What, he needs more attention? What, poor people in the streets that are just dying and starving, you know, they're not good enough? Jesus needs more, uh, more accolades. He needs more glory. Doesn't he get enough glory from his father? Interesting. I think what Jesus is trying to tell us here is he's just trying to order things rightly. It goes back to the golden rule. Love God above all things, and then love your neighbor as yourself. We will always have neighbors to love, and that's very important. There's a little imbalance. I don't want to call it an imbalance, but I guess it's just coming to the balance when we read St. Francis de Sales, who says, When you're deep in prayer, St. Francis de Sales, really, in all his writings, I recommend his writings, he wants us to pray. He wants us to grow in what he calls the devout life. And he talks about no matter who you are, you are all called to pray, but we're all called to pray in different ways. The bishop is not called the same way that a monk is. The, The monk is not called the same way a mother is, or a police officer, or a judge, or a physician. Everybody has a different place in life, a person in a nursing home versus a child in daycare. Everybody's called to the devout life, but everybody in different ways. And St. Francis de Sales talks a great deal about how to meditate and how to spend as much time in prayer as we can. And yet he says, when there is a moment in which we are needed for a work of charity, someone who's hurting, someone who's starving, He counsels us, come out of your prayer to help that person and then get back to that prayer as soon as you can. 
So sometimes, yes, this has happened. I, re- I was in a holy hour a couple of weeks ago, and one of the ladies that always comes to that holy hour that I've been going to, um, she, I can tell just being with her over the weeks, over the months, dementia is starting to set in. Well, she was having an episode. We're in there having a holy hour, and she's outside screaming and trying to run out into the traffic. So yes, some of us had to come away from our prayer because a work of charity was more greatly needed at that moment. It was a question of prudence and a question of genuine charity. You know, I'm not going to say, well, let me finish my holy hour. In the meantime, she gets hit by a truck or something. Uh, So that's just an example of that. But Jesus is giving us a general rule. Like I say, it needs to come into balance. And the general rule is God comes first. This needs to be better understood. It needs to be more deeply ingrained, especially during Holy Week. Do some of us have some free time this week? What are you planning to do with that free time? God comes first, especially this week. God comes first when we do anything, when we do our work, when we spend time with our family. When we plan things like liturgies, when we get the parish council together, let's get back to that one. God comes first. You will always have the poor with you. Yes, we can sit around and talk about our programs and our plans and our works. And yes, charity is important. Charity is so important that Jesus makes it the third most important thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second most important thing is you got to love yourself first. You got to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help others with theirs when a plane is going down. But the most important thing is God himself. Jesus is trying to establish for them and make sure they understand it. I'm here among you as the one who comes from the Father, the one who's going to sacrifice himself for your salvation. And so my mission comes first. And yes, there's a deeper understanding there too of what Judas was really saying. A lot of times, and it it is revealed in this reading, what people's true intentions are. Ultimately, we can try to fool ourselves, and maybe we're not trying to fool ourselves. Maybe we really think uh, the certain, I don't know, sometimes we get a little delusional, and we think that we're doing the right thing. But whatever we're choosing in a given moment, whatever the patterns are in our lives of our choices... Eventually, our heart is made known. On Judgment Day, it will truly be made known and definitively set for all of eternity. But the little choices that we make reveal the big things. For example, if you never go to church or if you never go to confession, you can't sit there and say to yourself, yeah, me and Jesus are good. I just, you know, he knows I'll eventually get back to him. No, if you're ignoring him, that means you're not with him. And water flows downhill. That means the longer you go not being with Jesus, the more you're going to pull away from him, the more you're going to reject him, not do his will. And so the little choices that we make determine who we are and where we are. Mary wanted to make sure that, and who knows, maybe Mary is Mary Magdalene. She already did wash his feet. Maybe this is a regular thing for them. Hey, Jesus, your feet are disgusting. How about I clean them and then I'll dry them with my hair, even though that means I'm going to need to spend some extra time. And who knows what they did with their hair back then? They didn't have showers like we do now. 
But maybe that was a regular thing for her because she realized this is God and I need to really humble myself before him, especially with all that he's done for me. So, you know, the little things, Martha serving at the table, she realized I'm serving God. I'm serving the son of the father. So these little choices I make, you know, are going to determine who I become in the long run. So Martha's doing that. Mary's doing that. Judas, however, is moving in the opposite direction. It's not fully known yet that he's a traitor, but he's showing himself to be a traitor little by little, more and more. And then you have the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And you know, they're kind of ridiculous. I wanted to bring this up before finishing about the Pharisees and the the chief priests. They're not just going to kill Jesus. They're going to kill Lazarus. And I just think that's kind of funny because Jesus brought him back from the dead. He already came back from death. You're going to kill him again? Okay, that's just an opportunity for another miracle, right? We're going to kill him again. Okay, Jesus, bring him back again. Let's kill him again. We you know, don't want this guy around that's going to show Jesus' power. Jesus, guess what? Show your power. Bring Lazarus back. Like, what are you people thinking? You're going to kill Lazarus again? But they're not thinking. You know, once again, it's, you know, they, they think they're righteous. They think they're doing something for the good of the people. They think they're doing something uh, that's going to be pleasing to God. Yeah, let's kill a man. Because heaven forbid miracles become known that aren't our miracles. So it's really kind of ridiculous. But they're showing their true colors as well. The little choices that they're making, the little discussions that they're having, they're probably truly lacking in self-awareness here. Yet they're going further and further down the dark path. They're picking up momentum in the wrong direction. Judas is doing that as well. Martha and Mary are going in the other direction. I wish we could hear from more of the apostles during this reading. I wish they would argue with Judas and John would show us that. Who knows? We'll see it all when we get to the other side and we'll come to know the fullness of truth. But reading about and meditating on all these different people with all their different roles, it now helps us to plot our course for Holy Week. What are we going to do? Are we going to be like Martha that serves Jesus Are we going to be like Mary who becomes more and more intimate with Jesus and and serves him in a certain way? And remember, she had chosen the better part because she listened at the feet of Jesus. Lazarus is now doing that as well. Are we going to become Lazarus where we are just basking in how good God is to us and just being a personal witness of that? Lazarus is so important now because he is a personal witness of what God did for him. We could become that too. Or are we going to go just deeper into our role as Judas or as one of the chief priests who are not focused on Jesus, but are putting everything else first, claiming it's all about Jesus, but it's really not because we're putting ourselves first. Oh, look, I got Good Friday off. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go do something for myself. Is that what we're saying right now? Or are we saying, you know what, I got Good Friday off, so guess what? I'm really going to try to go deeper in being one with Jesus in his crucifixion. I'm going to meditate on what he did for me. I'm going to be there with Mary at the foot of the cross and show them my love as much as I can. None of us are perfect in this, but we have these great opportunities. Every year we're given this opportunity to be with Jesus, to love Jesus, to pray to Jesus, and to commemorate all the great things that he did for us. Let us prepare our hearts as we begin this holy week 
to uh, to be one with Jesus in his crucifixion, in his passion, in his death, that we may be one with him in his resurrection. God bless. Have a good day.